Hey guys, welcome to Cornerstone. We're so excited to be here with you because we know that God has something special planned for us. I'm Adrian. Yeah, and I'm Sando. And I thought we were coming for church, but apparently <laughs> this is the first ever Cornerstone Bowling Club. So get me with my shoes and See, I'm gonna get a strike this morning. He's making fun of my shirt. The guy with the neck tattoo who looks like Tyson is making fun of me. Okay. Well, anyway, guys, we're excited to be here and to celebrate with Jesus, because remember, the church isn't a building, it's us. And so we're gathering together for some great worship and a great message. Right, so say what's up in the chat. If you've got a friend that you know needs to be here, text them, call them, Facebook message them, DM them. We're pumped that you're here. All right, well, welcome to Cornerstone. Let's get started. Oh, 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 oh,
Forever all my days, hallelujah. 
Hey, throw a thumbs up in the chat if you agree with me that our worship team has been killing it these past weeks. I don't know how they do it, but I'm so glad that they do this week after week. They're just incredible. Well, welcome to Cornerstone Fellowship Church Online. My name is Sally, and I'm really glad that you're joining us today. My family has been attending church online from the comfort of our family room couch each week, and I've been loving that. I've also loved this current series on hope because it's just so encouraging. I've had some crazy ups and downs during shelter in place, and being reminded that God has plans to bless us, to give us hope, to give us a future, that's just been so life-giving for me. We can anchor ourselves in that truth. We can anchor ourselves in the promises of God, and we can get off the emotional roller coaster that some of us have found ourselves in. And speaking of hope, I want to take a minute to thank you for your generosity in supporting the mission of Cornerstone Fellowship, both locally and globally. For instance, because of you clicking on this link here and setting up recurring giving, we were able to help a single mom living in her car with her eight-year-old, all while she was making her way through college at Las Positas, right here in Livermore. We were able to get her into a larger vehicle, and from there she moved up north to finish school at Chico State. She and her daughter are breaking generational poverty through education, and part of that is due to your generous giving. Another way that we're delivering hope, we were able to send $5,000 to Dr. Saji Matthew, one of our ministry partners, with an organization called Hope Mission to the Unreached. This organization brings Jesus to people in Northern India and Nepal who have never even heard his name. Wow, that's kingdom work. And again, it's thanks to the generous giving of our Cornerstone family. For more information about these stories and how you can help, head on over to our website. But for now, will you pray with me for the single mom and her daughter and for Dr. Matthew? Father God, I just thank you for this community that is Cornerstone Fellowship. Just watching what people are being stirred up to do, the giving and the help and the encouragement in this time has just been, it's been amazing to watch. And I pray, God, I just pray that you would continue to stir our hearts what you want us to do right now, how you want us to act, where you want us to show up, what ways we can serve. So just be with us, God, and show us where we can continue to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you again for your generosity. And by the way, don't hesitate to email us if you have a story of hope from your community that we can share here in the future. For now, let's continue our service with Pastor Becky Fitch, who is showing us today why we can have a hope that's way more than just positive thinking. I know I'm looking forward to hearing it. Welcome to Cornerstone. Hi, Cornerstone. Well, we are now a few weeks past the halfway point of 2020. I feel like we should congratulate each other. Like, this has honestly been the longest six months of my life. I mean, I remember as last year was coming to a close, everyone was so pumped on how awesome 2020 would be. Like, so many holidays fell on the weekend. It's as if all the stars were aligning. But that quickly went out the window, didn't it? I mean, it's crazy to think about what the first six months of 2020 actually held. Well, let me, let me recap it for you. Uh, Australia caught fire. World War III almost started. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced that they're leaving the royal family. There was the whole impeachment trial. Kobe Bryant died. 
a global pandemic began. The U.S. issued a nationwide state of emergency. Shelter-in-place orders were given. The stock market plummeted. Tiger King was released on Netflix. I mean, you couldn't find toilet paper or hand sanitizer anywhere. Sports were canceled. There were protests of the lockdown, locust swarms, murder hornets, a giant asteroid passed by the Earth. America reached a boiling point when it comes to race issues, and there were protests happening in every major city. There was the Saharan desert dust cloud. Political tensions reached an all-time high as we're now less than four months away from a presidential election, and every single school in America is trying to adjust and adopt and figure out like a new plan of action for this next school year. Did I miss anything? <laughs> I'm sure I did. But man, this, was, this is just what we've been going through collectively. Like it doesn't even begin to address the individual battles we've faced. Sickness, death, unemployment, marriage struggles, anxiety, isolation, financial stress, like the list could go on and on and on. 2020 has been overwhelming, unrelenting. I mean, if I only had one word to describe what we're all experiencing in this moment of history, that one word would be grief. We're in a constant state of grief. We're grieving the loss of social time, loss of connectedness, of normalcy, stability, and a known future. The trouble is, many of us don't even realize it. I mean, I was talking with my friend the other week, and it's as if like a light bulb went off when we, were, we both realized over the past few months, we've been going through the different stages of grief. Have you heard about the five stages of grief before? There, there's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And a lot of people think that these stages of grief, they're like processed in a straight, linear way. Like, like, like you go from uh, one stage to the next stage, and then eventually like you're done with grieving, hooray. But in reality, in grief, it looks so much more like this. It, it's back and forth, irrational at times. It can come on like a wave and, and just be uh, fully overwhelming. And I think because grief is so uncontrollable, so unpredictable, that for most Americans, it's something we aren't comfortable with. It's not a normal part of our society. We, we prefer to avoid it by whatever our coping mechanism of choice is. Maybe it's digital distraction, hustle, busyness, obsessive working out and dieting, or the all-American favorite, positivity. I mean, the language of positive thinking, it like it permeates our culture. We're, we're a cheerful, optimistic, forward, momentum-focused people. And I'm not just talking about people who have this personality type or temperament. No, there's like a societal belief in America that positivity and optimistic attitudes, they're the key to unlocking happiness, to experiencing success and healing in your life. If you believe it, you can do it. I mean, just scroll through Instagram and, and, and it's filled with like hashtag positive vibes. Dr. Kate Bowler is a historian of religion at Duke University, and she spent her professional life studying the history of the prosperity gospel in America. And she's very much a critic of it. But then when she was 35, she had a newborn baby and was diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
I mean, her whole life was turned upside down. It's in complete disarray. And she began to realize just how deep this prosperity, gospel thinking, this health and wealth, positive mindset was in her own spirit. And she has this great memoir she's written called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Have Loved. And Dr. Bowler uh, was interviewed by the New York Times back in April when, when we're all in the early weeks of shelter in place trying to navigate our world being turned upside down. And in that interview, she says this, the idea that we're all supposed to be positive all the time, it's become an American obsession. It gives us momentum and purpose to feel like yeah, the best is yet to come. But the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison in which it expects that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everyone right now, are somehow always supposed to find the silver lining or not speak realistically about the circumstances. The main problem is that it adds shame to suffering by just requiring everyone to be prescriptively joyful. Man, there's so much truth to what she shared. Oftentimes, when we are faced with challenge or trial, with grief and pain, like the typical response others will give us, maybe even the response we'll sometimes tell ourselves in those moments are things like, hey, everything happens for a reason. Just find a silver lining. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Well, look at the bright side. There's only up from here. Hey, at least it isn't as bad as... And we say these things as if we're equating hope with positivity. Like we think that hope comes when we believe our circumstances, they're not quite as bad as they seem. So let's just like grit our teeth. Let's put a smile on our face. Keep moving forward. Now, please like hear me. I'm not saying positivity is bad. Like a positive outlook, it can be great and helpful. But I mean, when positivity becomes our default way of dealing with anything difficult, or even worse, when it becomes our standard response to the pain of others, that's toxic. It's toxic because it's hollow and it fails to take seriously the suffering of this life. Toxic positivity, it oversimplifies the human brain and like how we're supposed to process emotions. It causes us to push aside and, and reject negative emotions to like bury our head in the stand instead of facing our reality. This toxic positivity, it adds shame to our suffering because it leads us to believe, hey, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not positive, if, if I don't have an optimistic mindset in the midst of my struggles, does it mean that I'm not being faithful to God? Does it, does it mean that I'm, that I'm doubting, that, that I don't trust him? What if hope in the midst of our grief doesn't come from positivity but from honesty. Well, that's what I want to explore today. And we're going to do so by studying Lamentations chapter three. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there now. Uh, Lamentations is located in the Old Testament and it's a book believed to be authored by Jeremiah. He's the man known as the weeping prophet. That's quite the reputation, isn't it? I feel like out of anyone, I would be, I, I could relate to this. Like I'm known as the crying pastor at Cornerstone. I'm okay with that. But the book of Lamentations, it's composed of five prayers or five songs of lament. 
This is a word that literally means to wail, to howl, uh, to express loss and sorrow. You see, Lamentations, it recounts a time of complete devastation, like on a national level for the people of Israel. It's written post 587 BC when the Babylonians laid siege on the city of Jerusalem, literally like burning it down, destroying the temple. All the military, all the civil, all the religious leaders, they were either executed or they were carried away into captivity. Only the poorest of the poor in Israel were allowed to remain in the land, which by now it's just a place of complete desolation. Suffering, starvation, struggle, death, like this is the context of Lamentations. And Jeremiah, he begins chapter 3 by saying, I am the man who has seen affliction. Notice he doesn't say, I am a man who has seen affliction. No, he's saying, hey, if there's ever been anyone who's walked through difficulties, who's walked through trials, who's endured challenge and afflictions in life, I am that guy. And then Jeremiah spends 20 verses providing a thorough list of how he feels when it comes to the trials that he's experiencing. And maybe you can relate to some of these feelings. Jeremiah says, he says, I've been driven into despair and darkness. He says, my flesh and my skin waste away. My my bones are broken. He says, I'm drowning in bitterness and in tribulation. He he, he says, I I feel walled in. I'm carrying around heavy chains. I, I feel unheard, thwarted, lost. I mean, I've heard that from so many people nowadays where they just say, I just feel so lost. Jeremiah, he continues on and he says, I've been torn to pieces. I feel desolate, targeted. Everyone's out to get me. I'm shot up with the arrows of life. He says, I feel ashamed, taunted. It's as if my mouth is full of gravel. This is a guy who knows how to complain poetically. Jeremiah says, I'm lacking peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. He says, all that I had hoped for is gone. And Jeremiah, he is lamenting with everything he has. He is wailing. He's howling out to God. He's showing us that when we are faced with pain and suffering, the expectation is not that we would be positive. The expectation is that we would be honest. Lamentations is for anyone who's found it difficult to be honest and forthright about the struggles we face in this life. Like Lamentations gives us the voice to say, actually, it's not okay. Everything is not okay. And it's in these times where we're supposed to do what Jeremiah did and we lament, we cry out to God and we express our pain and our grief in a completely honest way. The problem is, Christian culture in America today, it doesn't give us room to be honest in the midst of our suffering. I mean, the church in America is not comfortable with lament. We're comfortable with praise. We're comfortable with worshiping God because that's positive, but you know, not lamenting God. But you see, this is part of the reason why the church is unable to make sense of God's goodness whenever life gets hard. It's why so many people doubt when they are going through struggles because we haven't learned how to grieve. We haven't learned how to lament, to be honest with God when faced with adversity. Instead, we encounter trials of our own or or even the pain of others 
and we feel the need to defend God's goodness with shallow statements of positivity. Everything happens for a reason. Really? Like, tell that to someone who didn't get to hold their mom's hand as she passed away from COVID. You know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Well, God must not be paying attention because I can't handle this. Well, look at the bright side. There's only up from here. Well, yeah, duh. I lost my job and so did my husband and my kids aren't in school and I don't know how we're going to pay rent, but thanks for the encouragement. It's almost as if we feel we have to choose between being honest and being hopeful. Like we have to choose between being realistic about pain and suffering or being hopeful about God's goodness. Surely we can't do both, right? What if it were possible for honesty to coexist with hopefulness? Jeremiah, he laments before God. He, he looks his pain and his despair head on. He lays it all out in the open, but then he doesn't leave his focus there. Look at verse 21. Jeremiah says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. How could Jeremiah be experiencing all that he described in verses 1 through 20, the desolation, the despair, the pain, the heartache, and yet say, I still have hope? How is that possible? I believe it's because Jeremiah's hope, it wasn't found in his circumstances. His hope wasn't found in believing that, you know, things aren't as bad as they seem. No, things were bad. Like, just when they thought they couldn't get any worse, they did. His hope wasn't found in an optimistic outlook or a forced positivity. Church, here's what I want you to remember today. Hope isn't believing that things aren't as bad as they seem. It's trusting that God is as good as he says. Isn't it true that you and I, we infer the goodness of God from the good things that happen to us? We say, you know, God, God's been very good to me. And then we give, you know, X, Y, Z examples. And that's not necessarily bad in and of itself, but it can be problematic thinking when it causes us to doubt God's goodness whenever bad things happen to us. You see, this is, this is a false theology because it means that we are allowing our circumstances to dictate our understanding of who God is. Our circumstances determine his character as opposed to it being the other way around. And Jeremiah, he provides us with such an important example. Instead of allowing his circumstances to dictate his view of God, he allows his view of God to dictate his understanding of his circumstances. And the reason this is such an important differentiation is because it means experiencing God's goodness in our life. It's not dependent on our circumstances being good. Our circumstances will change. We'll go through good times. We'll go through bad times. It's a reality of life. 
And although our circumstances will change, God's character does not. Author, poet, and Bible teacher Jackie Hill Perry, she says, if God's character changed or vacillated with every circumstance, he wouldn't be God. He'd be you. Oh man, that is, that is such good news because it means that our hope, like regardless of the circumstances we're presently walking through, our hope is unshaken. It's unshaken when it's found in a God who is unchanging. You know, on May 22nd of this year, my amazing grandma, who I love and admire so much, went to be with Jesus. And back in April, during our Psalms series, I had the opportunity to share with all of you, to share with our Cornerstone family words that she had written on experiencing the presence of God. And the last time I spoke to grandma was on May 3rd, her 85th birthday, where I uh, got to share with her the impact that her words had had on so many of you. I mean, after that weekend, I I had people reach out to me asking me for a copy of the letter, sharing how wise my grandma is, how much encouragement her words brought to their life. And man, that like just made my grandma's whole year. I loved getting to have that conversation. And I'm so glad that that was the last time we got to talk together that it was filled with such hope. And a few weeks ago, I went back to St. Louis to visit my family and to celebrate and honor uh, Grandma and the amazing life she lived. And during that time, I was able to just sit and spend time with my grandpa to listen to him talk and process all that he's been through in the last few weeks. I mean, they had a 68-year relationship. And so the grief that he is currently experiencing, like, it is great. The loneliness he's facing, it's very real. The sorrow in knowing that she spent her last two weeks of life in the hospital alone and he couldn't visit her, he couldn't hold her hand, like, that's, that's a strong sorrow. You can't just gloss over a relationship that's lasted that long. But you know, more than anyone else I've ever known in my life, my grandpa, he has read and studied, but he's known and he's experienced the goodness of God. Like it's a goodness that he trusts in, that he believes in regardless of what comes his way. And so even though he's experiencing sorrow, like he has joy. Even though his grief is real, he has true hope. Hope isn't believing that things aren't as bad as they seem. It's trusting that God is as good as he says. Why do we have hope? Because our God is good and our God is for us. He made us. He loves us in ways we can't even like comprehend. And when sin broke the world and broke us, he started this long process of redemption, like culminating in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, but he came to earth and he put on humanness as well because he wanted so badly for us to know that he understands our pain. He can connect with our grief and he endured the cross, death on the cross on our behalf so that we could have the relationship with God we were created for. But it didn't end there. No, then he rose from the grave, gaining victory over death for us. So we would no longer have to be afraid. Death no longer has to have a hold on us. It's lost its power. 
And so when you ask me why I have hope, my answer is not because I think things are good now. No, they are, they are not. I mean, for so many reasons we don't have time to get into today, things are not good. But instead, my hope is that God fixed the problem beneath the problems. God's already fixed it at the root. And he will one day bring this plan of restoration to full completion in the world. He'll bring it to full completion in you and in me. But right now we're living in this in-between. And so we live life balancing both honesty and hopefulness. The Apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. He says, we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. He says, for we are alive and we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's both honesty and hopefulness. Grief and hope, like they can coexist. Sadness and hope, they can coexist. Anxiety and hope, they can coexist. Because hope is not a mood that fluctuates. It's not a, a state of mind that comes and goes. Hope is more than just a positive attitude. It's more than just like a little shot of fuel in our emotional gas tank. No, church, hope is the road. Hope is the way in which the follower of Jesus travels through life regardless of what comes. Regardless of the good or bad we experience, we can hold tight. We can remain secure in our hope that's founded in the goodness of God. So how do we do this? How do we live this out? Well, let's get practical. Here's how we can put this into action this week. Our starting place is the same as Jeremiah's. Our starting place has to be one of honesty. Being honest with God. Your action step this week may be to just get alone with God and lament, wail, grieve, process in a real and honest way the pain and the sorrow you're walking through. Like he can handle it. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry, to be confused. And if this feels foreign to you, like do it in a way that feels more comfortable. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through journaling. Maybe it's through drawing. Like whatever your avenue, the goal is to be honest. Honesty is such an important part of the grieving and the healing process. The second action step we can take is to be honest with others. Like you aren't designed to walk through suffering alone. I know it's hard to be vulnerable. I know it's hard to be difficult to open up and expose pain, especially if it feels raw. But remember what Paul said, the language he used in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we are hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not destroyed. It's not just you. No, we were created for community. We need safe people in our lives that we can like process real doubts with. People we can share our prayer journal worth and then let them into the pain and grief that we're walking through. Would you be brave enough this week to reach out and be honest with others? And let me just say, social media 
isn't the place to do that. I feel like it goes without saying, but let's be honest, we all have social media and we realize it needs to be said. Instead, pick up the phone, share with your community group, meet, meet with someone one-on-one. -on -one. If you have kids, maybe you even share like appropriate fragments of what you're processing with them. Let them know it's okay to not always be okay. Allow them to process their feelings with you. I mean, if you always act like you have it all together, they're gonna feel like they have to as well. Be honest with God, be honest with others. But lastly, like Jeremiah, you don't have to leave your focus there. Spend time to, to recall to your mind the goodness of who God is. Because man, it's there and it's there alone that will find a secure hope. I wanna close by praying the words of the Apostle Paul found in Romans 15, 13 over you today. And so wherever you're watching from right now, I wanna ask you to bow your head, open your hands as a posture of surrender to receive these words of encouragement. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that this would be true of each and every single one of us. And we pray this in the name, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Wow, what important truths for us to hold on to as we go throughout this week. And Adrian, what are some tangible next steps that we can take coming out of this message? Well, I think just like Becky said, those relationships that are honest and hopeful, uh, right now, if we take time and identify who those people are, those relationships, and send them a text. Text them and say, I appreciate you and I'm thankful for you and tell them why. And then that second step of reaching out to them and saying, hey, let's connect on the phone or meet up sometime this week to make sure that we're feeding ourselves in a healthy and intentional way during this time. Yeah, and I think it's important for us to remember too, is, is we're filled with hope and encouraged by somebody else. It's important that we pass that along. There are plenty of people that don't know Jesus who are going through especially hard times who need that hope and encouragement too. And speaking of that, we wanna care for you guys. So reach out to us, connect on social media, shoot your campus pastor an email. We wanna care for you and love you through this time. And so we love you, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.